0: Uh, da, 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 uh, uh, down, down, down. it's time to take the ice with the that's hockey podcast presented by trust PR hear the fun chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh shrug your shoulders and say that's hockey baby The that's hockey podcast now here's your host Matt trust you
1: And welcome back to another edition of the That's Hockey podcast. It is presented by Trust PR and I am so pleased to be joined today by a man who by night for almost 30 years, a linesman in the American Hockey League, but by day, an anesthesiologist in your backyard, if you live in the central Pennsylvania area, Doctor Bob Goodman. It's great to have you.
0: Oh, thank you, Matt. It's great to be on your show, buddy.
1: So, just to start off, how the hell are you? You know, it's it's the middle of August. There's hockey on. I mean, how how's life for you right now?
0: Life is life is grand. So we're uh, we got through the tough part of it, and now we're uh, we're doing our cases here. We're just moving forward at the hospitals. And uh, as you said, hockey's on, so we just need to uh, get the local hockey and the American Hockey League back started, and life's going to be perfect.
1: Have you had the chance to watch any of the, uh, the Stanley Cup playoff games? And if so, like, what's kind of been like your assessment just on the quality of play? That's been a big question mark for many people. I haven't actually been
0: able to see much of the game and catch a little snippet here or there. But truthfully, if you consider what, uh, what they've gone through, both the officials and the players, from what I've seen, like it's been fantastic. So, uh, I mean, these guys have been off for how long? And, uh, and they come back and, and they're just going full speed. It's, it's been wonderful. But I haven't seen much of it, though.
1: Yeah, you know, I thought that uh, the round robin games, the quality of those were a bit on the mediocre side. But when you got to the elimination games, the the qualifying round, and now uh, as the first round is going on as we speak, I, I thought the play has been fairly outstanding. I think it depends from team to team. You can tell which teams perhaps have more of those players that maybe aren't 100% bought into the entire bubble aspect and having to be separated from the families for a prolonged period of time. Uh, I mean, just last night at the time of recording this, uh, the Arizona Coyotes got absolutely bombarded by the Colorado Avalanche 7 1. And after the game, uh, the Arizona head coach Rick Talkett, in front of the media, flat out said, You know, today it looked like we had a lot of guys that simply just did not want to be here. So I I can't imagine. It's just so unprecedented what you're asking for these these athletes to do. But nonetheless, it's been great to have uh, some hockey of some sorts back on.
0: I think our uh, Stanley Cup champion this year is going to be a combination of a team that uh, comes together for the final round as well as one that can handle being separated from the rest of society. So it's, it's going to be a double combination that they're dealing with and that's going to be the best team at the end.
1: Yeah, well, look forward to, uh, we have the luxury of the Stanley Cup playoffs going on until the uh, beginning of October is when they're expecting to dish off the Stanley Cup. So we're all looking forward to that. So now I have to say, uh, I think it was a, a local credit union in central Pennsylvania uh, between five or 10 years ago. They, they did a commercial with AHL Hall of Famer, Mitch Lamrew, where he was the most interesting man in the world, similar to what the, <laughs> the Secchi's beer commercial they have done for a very long time. Now, no disrespect to Mitch Lamrew. Uh, he's become a, a good friend, a color analyst on the Bears radio network, but I will say years later... I do think the local credit union got it wrong. It should have been Bob Goodman as the most interesting man. In, oh no. In it, it's league still Air. Mitch. It's still Mitch. Mitch, Mitch has me beat. <laughs> still Mitch. Well, yeah. it, it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a career for you, almost 30 years as a linesman in the American hockey league. So I guess just to start, there's so much I want to get to uh, in this episode. So, Let's start, I guess, working somewhat chronological. Take me back to the beginning of you and how you had the opportunity and how the, uh, the first gig uh, came about when it came to uh, being a linesman in the AHL.
0: Well, I started officiating when I was about uh, 15 years old. And for anybody that's local, they may remember the arena that used to be behind Hershey Park Arena, the outdoor rink had a roof, but it basically was climate controlled by whatever the temperature was outside is, is what it was at the rink. And you did house league squirt and you just continued to officiate up the ranks. Eventually, uh, Randy Waybright passed my name off to Frank Mathers. And anybody that knows the Hershey Bears certainly knows that name, it's iconic. And, uh, and he passed it off to the league and, uh, and put my name into the league. So certainly having someone like Frank uh, forward your name to the league is going to carry a lot of weight. He, uh, you know, he ends up in the Hall of Fame, and, and he's just like pretty much the name of uh, of Hershey Bears. So it certainly came from a, a credible source. And, and that's how I, my name got floated into the American Hockey League that long ago.
1: For those who perhaps are a bit on the younger side and uh, they don't have much of the memories of Frank Mathers uh, and his impact on the Hershey Bears and that organization – What do you recall about Frank that just made him so iconic and a person that is affectionately known in the central PA community as Mr. Hershey Bears hockey?
0: Well, uh, I'll give you the answer at the end, but uh, I'll tell you, first of all, he was unique in the fact that not only was he a Hall of Famer in the American Hockey League as a player, considered one of the greatest defensemen in the league, but then he became the coach general manager and president of the team and he essentially is a hall of famer for that as well and uh, so much so that the uh, NHL puts him in the Hall of Fame in Toronto but I think I think truly what defines Frank Mather's is him in a word is class and a perfect example is is a, a He's just so well known in the community. I work with a nurse and she goes, oh, I met Frank Mathers and she doesn't know anything about hockey and she goes to a Bears game at Hershey Park Arena and she walks up to a gentleman and says, excuse me, can you show me my seats? And this gentleman then takes his t- t- takes her tickets, walks her to the seats and seats her and walks away. And then people say, do you know who that was? She's like, no, the ushers. Like, no, that's Frank Mathers, my God. He just never says a word, Humbles can be, and pure class in everything he does.
1: Well that's that's fantastic. And his uh his son uh JD Mathers uh who uh is one of the co-hosts on the old barn hockey show. It's so great to hear so many of his stories firsthand. What it was like to grow up with Frank and he would always say he was a man that knew season ticket holders by their first name through all the years uh, as an executive for the Bears so really uh, refreshing and just awesome to know that uh, for so many years the organization was in such great hands and uh, leading to the the. Bear is really establishing their identity uh, just off the ice and on the ice as well. So,
0: Matt, when I was was doing some research for the book I was writing, he had passed away, but I went over and interviewed his wife, who was wonderful, right? But the point of the story is, uh, at the end, she knew I needed to contact some other people. So she pulls out her phone book. And of course, it's it's a phone book paper, you know, (laughs) paper stuffed in there. And she starts flipping through it. To find a name that she's looking for, literally, this book was quite simply the Hall of Fame. I mean, she's flipping through it, and there's Gordie Howe's number and Bobby Orr's number and Wayne Gretzky's number. I'm like, oh my God! Like they know everybody in hockey.
1: (laughs) So, and it was it was Gordie Howe, of course, that has the infamous quote as well, where anyone who's anyone in hockey has come through Hershey. And it's a spectacular quote because Gordie Howe, one of the most, probably arguably the greatest hockey player of all time. And I think Wayne Gretzky honestly might even tell you that himself. Gordie Howe never even played in Hershey. So right, it's right. A, a really great quote. Uh, so you mentioned 15 years old for you uh, when you first started officiating. So was that something that just really early on as a young kid, you always wanted to be a ref rather than a pro hockey player? Well, it's just the mindset growing up? Oh
0: yeah, not even close on your point. Uh, It was quite honestly, I'm 15. I really enjoy the sport and it's a way to stay involved. So, uh, and as you know, every young fish when you get a couple bucks that you get to throw in your pocket. No, no idea that uh, I would continue doing it. It was just another chance to get on the ice and skate. And, uh, And in fact, in the beginning, you know, you, d- you didn't even really enjoy it, to be honest with you, because again, that old rink, uh, there was one locker room called a chalet. So both the teams and all the parents and the officials are there. And there's no supervision back then. And certainly like uh, one gang, uh, a parent decided he was gonna let me know, uh, you know, help me out, so to speak, supervise me and let me know what he thought of the officiating and walked me the whole way from the chalet around the arena up to the parking lot. I thought, man, day, I, I don't need this. I'm, I'm giving this up. But of course, you know, the famous, uh, you know, quote from your parents is, uh, well, you started it, you're going to finish the season. And then, uh, so you do. And then by the next season, you forgot about it. And you, you go back for another one. And geez, how many, how many years later, you're still doing it.
1: So was there, a, so how old were you? Uh, first American Hockey League season. So I'm pretty sure that goes back to the early 90s, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, so it had been the early 90s, so uh, you know, in your 20s, uh when you get your first game go out into the American Hockey League ice.
1: Did you have uh a bit of a oh shit moment early where it's like what did I get myself into here?
0: Well, I can I can certainly remember uh you know, I don't have the details of the game, but certainly what I do remember is You you changed in the locker room, and you came out of the locker room, made a right, went down a little hallway, a tunnel, and then stepped onto the ice. And then the first time I did that, I stepped onto the ice. I've been in that arena a thousand times. And this time, it's jammed with fans. The pro players are skating around, and I'm officiating this game. And you look up, and you see the arched roof of the arena, and these fans that have been here forever – and it just truly was the, I'll say, the magical moment. And it's just as soon as you're in warm up skating around with the guys, the, the wow moment of this is pretty amazing.
1: And it's probably even more special too when, you know, up through 2002, the final year at Hershey Park Arena, probably up through your first game in the early 90s through 2002, there's probably a little bit of that too that just never goes away depending on whether it was a preseason game or a Calder cup final game, that just feeling of in awe of what you're about to endure.
0: It was, uh, it was so neat because uh, everybody talks about what an organization it is and, and it's from the top down, but it includes the fans and they're knowledgeable. You know what I mean? And they care. And in a lot of cities, that's not the same. So they know if you're a young official because they know the officials names right so you literally are like they it's like putting blood in the water they can smell it they can sense it they're going to let you know and in fact in that arena the uh zamboni doesn't come out from behind the goal net like most drinks it comes out at the corner and directly across from that corner was a group of guys the Wild Bunch, the Wild Gang, uh, forgive me if I got it wrong, but everybody knew they, who they are. And they'd go out between periods and drink beer and come in, you know, a little, a little more sauce than, than before. And they would just give it to you. And back then the glass was lower, so you could literally stand up on your seat and yell over the glass. And really early on in, uh, in the games, uh, we come onto the ice to start a second period. So it's just the three officials. Back then, it's just three. And we're skating around the ice. And as I'm skating right in front of them, they're up on their feet, yelling at it, And they yell at me so loud that half the arena heard Goes, You tall, skinny fuck. <laughs> and just give it to me. And all half the ring starts laughing. And I get to center. So the two guys I'm working with are, you know, 5'10 tallest, right? So we know it's me. And I'm like, what the hell did a local linesman do in the first period that still hasn't pissed off? That, that was the Hershey fans, man.
1: And, and I, I don't know, because whatever you did, I think it still stuck with them because I still hear fans to this day in, uh, in the 100 level yelling pretty similar stuff at you whenever you're out there. So <laughs> I don't know what you did, but it must have really affected them. Yeah, 30 years later, they still won't forgive me. (laughs) But, uh, you you know, you touched on the fans being so intelligent. When you're a young linesman, you're out there and maybe there's a line change going on and it's pretty bang bang to being too many men and you have 500, 1,000 fans screaming too many, too many. As a young linesman, is, is it like, oh shit, I have to call it? Or how do you tone that out? where you continue to make your own decisions while officiating the game and not really let the the fans have an influence on what you call or what you don't call.
0: I would probably, I mean, that's just for me guessing though, but I would say as a younger official, it's probably uh, you'd be more afraid to make that call as a younger official than certainly now. It, uh Younger, maybe the fans could be a little intimidating or the players could be in a way, but then uh, as you get some experience and comfort level, then you actually love it because it means the fans are in the game and it raises the bar and the players can feel it and they get into it more. So you're actually having a more exciting and a better hockey game. The more the fans
1: get into it. That's awesome. Was, uh, were there any players early on that just, intimidated the holy hell out of you or any coaches where you just kind of like beeline by the bench you just don't want to deal with the don't want to deal with this guy?
0: Well it uh, I'll get to a coach in particular but I'll tell you it uh, I was pretty lucky because when I started there was only the Bears so the Phantoms didn't exist the Penguins did exist all right we're in the arena So the number of officials were way down. I pretty much had three linesmen that worked a lot of games when I started and they were mentors to you. And it was Jimmy Doyle, Mike Condon, and, uh, and Reserby. And it it was great. And, And all three of them were wonderful, but I'll tell you, you know, if there's a personality that rose above the game as an official, it was Mike Condon. I mean, it just basically, he was the game sometimes. And as an example of being a mentor, uh, I'm a real young official and the Hershey bench has just given it to me about a lines, you know, an offsides and he skates right past me at the whistle and goes right to the bench and essentially challenges the entire bench and says to him with a few F-bombs thrown in there that you will not talk to the young official anymore tonight. If there's any other things you have to say, it'll come through me first. And I was like, Holy cow. Like, there's a linesman telling the entire bench at one time to shut up, you know, and they did, it was the beauty of it. And in fact, Matt, going back to Mike, I mean, he was so iconic that unfortunately he had passed away um, during his career and uh, the league then named an award after him that they give out to a referee or linesman at the end of every year. I mean, that's just how great he was, but I'm doing a game with them at the arena. And, uh, A fan's given it to him personally. And then he gets personal with it and calls him pork chop. And Mike and this fan, the game stops. And Mike and this fan are just going at each other. And Jay Feaster was the GM at that time. And he comes running down from the press box. So he's standing in the stairs above the bench, yelling at Mike. Mike's yelling at him. The fan's yelling at Mike. Mike's yelling back at the fan. The whole game has stopped. And I thought, Oh, my God, like, what, what am I involved in here? Wow. <laughs> he just took over the game. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And th- those, those guys really, really protected you from uh, having anything go on. But to get to a point of uh, you said is uh, when I started, I think my, Mike Eves might have been the first coach and Jay Leach. And, I mean, they were just, you know, classy guys. But then in comes Bob Hartley. And I'm telling you, you can't make that statement of that coach without Hershey fans smiling or laughing, or they know what's coming, right? There is just, he had boundless energy, shall I say, behind the bench on letting him let you know what he thought of your calls all game long, right? And, uh, you know, Doug Yingst was was around at that time. He'd always say, oh, the best news is if we have a three-hour hockey game, we're going to win, because Hartley at that time was just a master of delay tactics. So, what, what were some
1: of those delay tactics that, that he would use?
0: Trust me, he, uh, he resorted to the old throw the pennies on the ice.
1: Well, Literally. So, he would have
0: like pennies in his pocket he and would like have pennies in his pocket. And uh, during a uh, you know, stoppage of play, I mean, let's be honest, he's not going to have someone get hurt. But a stoppage of play, he'd throw him out the face at the far end, and he'd be yelling at you, hey, someone threw some coins down here. Someone threw some – well, you have to go get them. You can't ignore that. So you skate over, pick up the pennies. Don't worry, Bobby. Oh, I'll keep an eye on who's doing
1: that for you. You know, like he's my – Right, he's security. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Hartley is going to play security too, also, coach. That's uh... – You know, he'd have his players
0: be injured. It just – it was – and, Matt, you got to remember that was before the uh, hurry-up face-off, which most people or maybe a lot of the younger affiliates don't even recognize anymore because the players just come in and do it. But back then, you could take as long as you wanted to uh, come into the face-off and get set. And the perfect example of that is Mitch Lambrou, who, quite honestly, I've said this before, in 30 years of officiating, is, is honestly the best centerman draw man I've ever had in the face-off circle. He, he was so strong. He was so fast, and he just he, – every faceoff was important to him. But, oh, my gosh, to get him into the faceoff to, to start, it was just – he always circled around the faceoff dot several times, got every player lined up. Then he had to come in like a, a umpire sweeping home plate. He had to take his stick and make sure this, the dot was clear and
1: on and on i'm so pretty sure was- he still does that to this day but with the press box upstairs <laughs> you know like first he's got to get his duncan you know if, if you know mitch before every single game he'll do on there he's got to get his pre-game duncan donuts in him uh his munchkins he loves his munchkins you know just come up you know lay the paperwork get the lines dust off the old headset then uh then it's time to call the game so.
0: Yeah, he was uh, he was a fantastic centerman, and he always believed that the the linesman was his friend because he knew we were controlling the face-offs, right? So Mitch was always pure class on the ice towards the linesman and the officials.
1: So he would never give it to you? Mitch would never? Oh, my
0: gosh. No, no, no. Like, if he had something to say, he'd do it in a very, like, yeah, Bobby, I don't know about your game tonight. You know, something like that. But never, show, never would he show you up because yeah. he knows that uh, – you know, the linesmen and the centers are key. I mean, I, a lot of the, a lot of players need to learn
1: from Mitch. And when, I, I guess when you're classy like that, do you take it more to heart then if a guy like Mitch says, eh, I don't know, uh, you might be off your game tonight. Like, do you take much from that or do you just kind of like anything, put it behind you and just keep focusing on, uh, on the next play, next shift? Oh my
0: mad, a hundred percent. Like, like, just making something up here If mitch said to you you missed that like you would really think about wow did i miss that call right i mean you'd even be in the locker room and said hey hey tell me about you know whatever the offsides the trip whatever because someone like that said it to you you know on a current team like if a matt molson came up and said something to you oh my gosh you'd absolutely like give it a second thought because he just never would do that otherwise
1: yeah and uh you know, while you bring up Matt Molson, I mean, if you get current for a second, the news came out that uh, he has re-signed for uh, another American Hockey League contract in Hershey. Uh, what were your impressions of a guy like Matt Molson? I, because I just think he's a fantastic story where he's a guy that has definitely made his money in his hockey career. Uh, a three-time 30-goal score in the National Hockey League. But at this point, he's just playing for fun, it seems. And what is a guy like that? When you're ice level and you can see this firsthand from a vantage point like no one else, what does a guy like Matt Molson really do for a young age show hockey team?
0: Well, he, it's not only a fantastic story, but the neat part is he's a fantastic person. And uh, you just know that as an official on the ice with him. He always has a smile and, and a nice word, and he skates around in warm-up and almost without fail skates over to you to say hello, you know, before the game. I, I thought, you know, from my perspective, it was a, a fantastic and amazing signing to do it because these young guys have so much to learn from uh, how he carries himself, the character on the ice, and how seriously he takes the game. And it's, uh, it, it's a joy to be out on the ice with him.
1: What do you think is, uh, so you touched on just some of the, the classy players. Uh, how about classy coaches that you've had to deal with throughout the American Hockey League that, that come to mind for you?
0: Well, the uh, the Bears have quite honestly had a, a string of uh, coaches here that have uh, have been real classy. And, uh, you know, you go to a Boudreau and it follows with Woods and you have manner who, who had a personality that was fantastic right and uh you could talk to these guys I mean they would they would yell if they didn't like their call but uh never crossed the line and could always uh, could always go and chat with them and uh it it's, it's a lot of Mike Foligno was was amazing as well so uh they've they've had a good string of coaches I mean if for the other clubs um Balsma uh, up there in uh, Wilkes-Barre, he, he was an amazing, classy coach as well.
1: So what is that line then? So is there like uh, just a, a certain phrase or like a, a word? Like what is it that uh, that is just over the line, I guess, when it comes to criticizing a linesman or a referee?
0: Uh, I think the biggest thing is don't make it personal, right? I mean, you can argue the call and uh, you go at it a while and the two things are, you know, stop at a reasonable time and uh and don't make it uh don't make it personal and i think that's the the biggest thing by far and uh you know most guys they they know that and for me in 30 years i've only had it twice and it's always been players uh that the the line's been crossed and one was uh hershey with newberry he was so upset at a face-off that he you know he called me a name a personal name it got uh you know, it was so inappropriate. And uh, Manor was like, what do you say? What do he say? And he found it, I was like, oh, well, you can't, you can't do that. So uh, that was one. And another, it was a lay team. I don't even remember who, but the player, I was in front of their bench during play and he stood up and he was just giving it to me, you know, so he's kind of showing me up on the bench by standing up and yelling down into my ear. But then when I tried to skate away to go to the far blue line, he put a stick out and stopped, you know what I mean? Impeded me during the play so that you know you can't do that right it. so I would say in a nutshell it's those two don't uh, don't take it too far and or too long and never make it personal
1: over the years in the AHL I mean I, I really feel like uh, unfortunately not as much now but even like just 10 years ago there were so many just veteran referees in the American League when you think back to uh is the the Harry Dumases of the world uh the Jamie Koharski his brother Terry uh the David Banfields was it at one point just like a fraternity you would sense of just all the guys that would wear the the orange armbands
0: it definitely has changed over the years and um you know it's no one's fault it's just the nature of the game um First of all, when you only had three guys, you couldn't help but be a little closer because there's just a lesser number, right? And now we have four officials for most game. I mean, You make it five and it's even less personal. So the fact that we had three officials, you bonded a little tighter. But certainly, you know, back in the days of Hershey Park Arena, without exception, I mean, without exception, at the end of the game, the three of you would go out for a beer, you know what I mean? For a drink and a bite to eat. And sometimes it was tough because it would be like, oh my God, like I got an exam tomorrow. You know, the last thing I need to do is go out and and have a beer with these guys after the game. You know, I just gave up a good part of the evening, but you still never missed. But now the game has changed because a lot of these times these guys have to uh, like get on the road and, and hit it right away. And they've got hours of driving just to stay over to get to the next drink. Right. So it's a little bit different that way so the going out afterwards rarely happens anymore as opposed to those days when uh when you did it all the time
1: and when you go out like do you talk about the game or is it just more personal about the family what you're doing tomorrow just how the wife and kids are doing or or do you talk about the game
0: oh you definitely would talk about the game but then then just turn into laughs and ribs ribbon and you know what I mean and and, and just having a good time to, you know talking about anything right it uh, it uh it it was nice man it was it was a great way to bond with people
1: I noticed that uh, I mean just from being around a lot of players of the past two years in Hershey uh, whenever they look at the at the media packet or the stat sheet what have you and they see that Terry Koharski is roughing that night's game they all get excited. Like, they love games that Terry Kulharski is reffing. And maybe uh, since, since Jamie retired, so I'm not sure if it was the same reaction when his brother Jamie uh, was reffing a game as well. What is it about those two guys that his players just really seem to love and respect playing for those two referees? Um, I, I can tell you,
0: man, he has so much respect in the league that it's it's just – amazing right and uh and it's and it's how it is uh you know an example is i have a, I have a face-off and the center is just not cooperating and it's so much so that he he's getting going to get himself a penalty for uh for how he's acting right so as an example co hosts skate over and quite honestly uh you know say to me hey Bob, um, you know what's going on here and i go it hey, won't well, set for me something like that and he will turn and be like let's say he's mad hey matt are we having a problem tonight no coho no good good because i thought we were okay let's get going and boom now it's all over right so we save a penalty we save a delay and uh and we move on and that's the kind of those are the subtle things that he does as an official that uh that are quite amazing i had another game where it was a really young ref and he called like three penalties in a row on the same team in the first six minutes or something and it was the coach. I mean, we damn near were gonna lose this game on the coach exploding. Right? Cole just skates over and says it's a long game, coach. And next thing you know, there was a whistle on the other team, and we were all made up. and And on we go. He could manage a game, and uh, and uh, everybody knows it and respects it. And it's uh, it's how he does it. It's it's really uh, it's really something to to see.
1: I'm not sure if you've ever had the chance to listen, but there is a, a fantastic podcast done uh, by a uh, former pro goalie and now uh, analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights, Mike McKenna. He does a, a fantastic show called six degrees uh, with Mike McKenna and one episode he had on Jamie Kiharsky. Oh goodness! And you like, when I say this episode is a, a must listen, like you have to listen to this episode. And when, uh, when Mike hit him with the, the question on, you know, what's, uh, what are some referees that were just an absolute earful? Like, they might have been great people, right? Like, just a genuine, unbelievable person. But just when it came to in the game itself, was just a complete pain in the ass. And Jamie told the unbelievable story about Mike Havlin and the season that he was coaching in Hershey it was the 13-14 season. Midway through, uh, Hershey had a game up in Bridgeport against, at the time, it was the Binghamton Senators. And I guess Mike Havlin on the bench would just never shut up. Like he just doesn't quit it. So Koharski tells the story where it's early on in the game, you have a, a good hard hit. It was borderline clean or dirty. So early on, Jamie lets it go. Mike Haplan immediately, he's standing up on the bench and he's going on and on. What the hell? You know, he's just arguing. And just two or three more borderline plays and Jamie lets him go. And he continues to just absolute berate and just continue to protest all game long. So Jamie says, all right, you know, here's a guy that I've tossed him out of games before. I've given him bench minor penalties. Let's try this. Let's try something different. I'm going to completely swallow my whistle, and we're just going to see what happens. So he lets big hit after big hit continue to happen. Mike Havlin continues to go crazy. And players on the Bington bench, they're starting to take notice to what's happening. They're like, oh, he's not going to call anything. We're going to be able to take some shots here. So later on, it's like the first or second promo timeout of the first period. Havlin stands up on the bench. Are you going to? Then call something or what later on tonight. And Koharski skates over. He goes, "No, Mike, I'm not gonna call anything because maybe if you keep yelling, you'll have a heart attack and die. Then finally, I can get some peace and quiet around here, and we can play a hockey game. And like that—that that was Jamie Koharski in a nutshell with his character, which is unbelievable.
0: Yes, the, uh, Jamie Terry, uh, Ryan Fraser, Banfield. These are, these are large personalities for refereeing, and oh my God, just fantastic to be able to work with those guys. I got injured in a game when Haviland was on the bench, and uh, I blew out, blew out my knee and uh, left the game, you know, one of the 500 injuries I've had <laughs> over that time, and Havlin, of all people, just starts bitching because we stopped the momentum from his team, right? So I'm injured and getting wheeled off. And he's bitching and Frazier was not in any way afraid to let someone know what he thought. Skates over. And I think they heard him in the upper balcony, yelling <laughs> and athletes, swearing at him about where he can, <laughs> it, it was amazing with those guys.
1: Oh God. That's amazing. You only blow your knee. Right. But, uh, the momentum, momentum, yeah, momentum,
0: priority, the, the there. Team momentum was, was important. Oh,
1: that's unbelievable uh so let's talk about some of the injuries too uh because last season was an eventful one for you just by itself where i remember uh early on you took a a puck to the head right at at one point that was a game in hershey i think you lost hearing in one of your ears for a, a period of time uh i know at one point uh you broke your leg too i think that was uh doing a youth hockey game at at twin ponds right or something along those lines so you've had some gruesome injuries uh so let's talk about what was your worst and uh maybe the first one too if you remember um yeah people
0: joke with me is add up all the officials in the league and their injuries and they probably don't equal mine i have no idea what uh i just i'm not getting out of the way i guess i don't know what the bad luck is but uh by far and away the uh the worst injury I had is when I uh, broke, shattered my wrist at, uh, in Philly. It was uh, at the Spectrum, and the Penguins were playing the Phantoms. And uh, they checked the player into the boards, and he fell into me. And my elbow uh, was against the glass, and he caught my wrist. And it snapped my wrist where my knuckles were. Went, I just destroyed my wrist. and knuckles went back and could touch my forearm and so i had no wrist i put the, the thing i remember is i put my left hand over my wrist and uh there, there was no bone it was just like rice crispy squares and the pain was unbelievable And i skated directly off the ice right to the phantom's bench and i got about over the bench and i just passed out in the hallway and when i came to i was uh, in their locker room and uh anyway long story short is uh you know the care for officials, I guess, (laughs) isn't quite the same as what you get in Hershey. So they uh, basically give me a little medicine and uh, let me go. So I'm walking back to uh, my locker room with a shattered wrist. I can't move a thing. And that's it. I don't go. I don't get an x-ray. I don't go to the hospital. So now I'm in the locker room and the game's still going on. And I'm unable to change because I only had one arm. And I was like, oh, my God. So I left, I walked out into the hallway and some poor security guard that just happened to be there that just wants to be left alone. I go up to him and like, God, I am so sorry, but can you come into the locker room and take my clothes off? (laughs) So he was a champ about it, but he comes into the locker room, completely undresses me. And I'm like, "Uh, can you help dress me too? (laughs) So there I am by myself with a shattered wrist. And, uh, and I have a security guard, you know, taking my clothes off, dressing me. I get in the car and I got to go home. The next day I have to go and get some, uh, you know, care at the hospital, for goodness sakes. Yes. That took multiple injuries to get uh, for my wrist. That was bad. And then the puck to your head. I mean, it was a complete, uh, a complete accident. But the Penguins game at the Giants Center, he took a slap shot and it just went right to the, uh, right to the bucket. And uh, put me down. And, you know, thank God. For the medical team there and uh, they got me into the ambulance into the ER and I had a CT scan and everything to check it out.
1: And uh, so when you first started in the league too I mean that was back in the the no helmet era correct for referees? Right
0: right exactly.
1: So I mean yeah. it's, it's one of those things too where it's like I mean obviously the injury is awful you never want it to happen the puck to the head but like Imagine if that was before the no helmet era. I mean, that. Couldn't could even imagine.
0: Like, Couldn't could, could even imagine. I mean, it was, uh, it blacked me out. I still, I still could mentate, but I completely blacked out vision. And, uh, and uh, I mean, just to describe uh, it, it, it was a, uh, it was a rough evening. Let's just put it that way. <laughs>
1: was it easier for you earlier in your career in terms of getting out of the way of the play because of the lower glass? So were, were you able to like grab a top? of the plexiglass and what was like, pole vault yourself out of way, like if, if the puck's getting cleared up? and, and Matt, out- that's a great
0: question. I, uh, I know a lot of guys did that. I never actually used that as a technique. Um, I, I think more is, uh, you know, you gain experience and you get to learn the players and you get to learn some of their nuances. And uh, so you actually, um, yeah, you slow up with, t- with age and with time, but you also gain some wisdom. And I
1: think it's a nice mixture between the two. So the game has changed so much over over the years. And I sent you some of the topics that we would touch on uh, going uh, into today. And one of the questions that I had for you was, it's one that I was really excited to get to, honestly, that just touches on how much the game has changed just throughout the nearly 30 years that you've been a part of the American Hockey League. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to find... Just five rule changes that have occurred at the AHL. Now, all of them but one have also occurred at the National Hockey League level, and only one of them uh, is only uh, just an AHL-only rule change. So I'm going to read through these five rule changes for you. And Mm -hmm. I want to know from your standpoint, which one had in your mind just the greatest his most positive impact on improving the quality of the game in itself. So we'll, we'll read through these. So the first one I have is the elimination of the two-line pass. Number two, uh, implementing the goalie restricted zone in the corners so you couldn't have Martin Bedore playing the puck in the corners like he did so well. Number three, changes to overtime where no more ties, in come the shootouts, four-on-four sudden death over time, and then eventually three-on-three. Number four would be, that's the AHL, only one restricting fighting in the AHL. So if you're not familiar, in the American Hockey League, if you fight, I believe it's 10 times. uh, An individual player fights 10 times in the season. It's an automatic suspension. And then if he continues to fight from there on out, they continue to uh, add on to the suspension. So they cap the amount of fighting in the AHL. And then number five, the delay of game penalty for clear, uh, clearing the puck out of your defensive zone uh, without a deflection. So, like, those are five just pretty significant rule changes, I think, in hockey. In, in your mind, which one of those greatly influenced the quality of the game?
0: For me, my opinion, it's uh, by far the elimination of the two-line pass. Um and I'll give you another one you didn't mention that, in my opinion, is the second most important one. But, of course, I'm a linesman, and that's the hurry-up face-off. So they changed the uh, face-off circle so there's more separation between the wingers on the uh, face-off um, hash marks. And they have the hurry-up face-off. For people that don't know, it's, uh, you know, the centers essentially have a time frame to get into the face off where before, as I mentioned, in Mitch and Tim Tukey's day, it was unlimited. And that has been a fantastic rule to uh, keep the game moving and give more control to the linesmen of uh, controlling these faceoffs and getting the centers in. The elimination of the two-line pass has a significant impact on the game, and it is, in my opinion, the the reason the game has uh, sped up as much as it has. And um, at first, you took away a little bit from the linesman because that was part of your game, not only offsides icing, but you had the two-line pass. It certainly is made up for it in the fact of the speed of the game and getting to your far blue line quick enough to, to make the calls. I, uh, I very much like the rule, and, uh, and I think hockey has benefited by doing so. Now, they've also implemented the hybrid icing, too, just so uh, to throw that out there. And again, so I'm coming from a linesman perspective. That, uh, that's had a tremendous impact as well, because no longer are you having, well, you pretty much know, the, the rush to the boards and two guys trying to touch a puck and colliding and having that. So it, it was great nervousness with linesmen when they brought the hybrid icing in, because in the old, either they touched the puck or they didn't. So it's black and white. Either you got the call right or you didn't. But in hybrid icing now, there's, uh, there's judgment. You know, when are you blowing the whistle? When are you deciding to uh, make the icing call? And who do you think is really closer who would get to the puck first? So you're adding judgment, which means more opportunity to be upset about, you know, your judgment and your call. But I think hybrid icing, it turned out to be a, a really good call, even though there was lots of trepidation about it. And, uh, and again, going back to the, the two-line pass, getting rid of that has just moved this game along incredibly.
1: So, is hybrid icing, in your opinion, a more difficult call to make than your touch icing? It,
0: it certainly was in the beginning. And it is, in a way, in the fact that you have a bunch more judgment to make and more parameters to uh, take in. You know, not only will the puck cross the goal line, but exactly when are you judging the icing? The top of the face off circle, the face off dot. So there's some judgment for each linesman as well. And that is not just who got there first, but who do you think would get to the puck first? So if a guy's one step behind, but he's catching, do you, do you let that go? Because he would have actually beat the person to the puck. So taking all that in, it's a little more difficult, but it certainly makes up for the fact that uh, you have two guys coming down and you know sticks touching the puck at the exact same time and collision and colliding. Right. It's definitely benefited the game. Um, uh, for whatever more difficulty there is in calling it.
1: Are you on team shootout or no shootout?
0: Oh, I don't mind the shootout. I mean, I don't know what uh, f- fans feel or other officials. I never even really talked to people about that. But for me, uh, if it, if it's a version of we're going to have a shootout and have a winner or we're going to have a tie game, oh, my goodness, I much I would much rather have a winner and loser. At the end of the day than going home with tie games yeah yeah i know we, like, we, we can argue sorry matt i didn't mean to interrupt you but we okay. could argue on how we're going to decide winning and losing right and the shootout came out as a compromise because you can't have regular season games going into let's say five overtimes <laughs> yeah. but uh um i much prefer having the decision made than uh, a tie
1: yeah it's definitely tough, I think, when you see some games and it's like, oh, I really don't want this to like there needs to be a winner and a loser. But I hate the fact that this is being decided in a shootout, especially when you have a great like now three on three overtime period where you have breakaway after two on one after potentially a three on no and it's end to end balls to the wall. Fantastic hockey. And then time expires and you think shootout damn it, you know, like I, I know from I, a lot I, of
0: fans. it's I it's wholeheartedly tough. understand what you're saying. I, I do completely, but, uh, you know, it, it's – I don't want to tie. Let's put it that way. For so, sure. Um, the, the thing that they're doing now with the uh, overtime before the shootout, though, teams are getting so good that they just so much now cycle the puck outside the zone and go back in and then cycle the puck outside the zone and go back in. That's really taken some of the uh, flair out of the uh, out of this overtime i don't know I don't know if they're going to address that or talk about it or even care or feel the same way I do, but I do think it's taken some of the luster out of it because they've become so good at it that now it's a cycling of the puck
1: What do you think in your mind is a rule that could be implemented into pro hockey that would improve the quality of the play even further
0: uh, I'd have to fine tune the rule, but I would think that there's too many stoppages. So I don't have a rule for you, but I can tell you that what I would work on is freezing the puck and too many stoppages. And try and discuss with people, how can we make this happen with less stoppages? No idea how, I mean, just let's put the brain trust together. But that's what I would, uh, because I think the goalies freeze the puck a lot and it sometimes kills momentum. And that's what's the exciting part of it. Again, I don't have the answer on how to do it, but I'd love to get a group of people and say, this is what we're going to work on. Let's see what we can come up with.
1: See, and I even just thought of, so like maybe for, uh, so you mentioned overtime teams will kind of be very patient in terms into a bit of a cat and mouse game. They'll continuously bring the puck out of the offensive zone back into the neutral zone if they don't have a clear passing lane. What would you think about only for three-on-three overtime a shot clock. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Uh, I don't know. I would definitely. Uh, why not try it in the American Hockey League? That's where we try things, right? For sure. Um, I. I would definitely be interested if I'm if I'm on the board. Which, by the way, I'm not, of course. Uh, I would definitely listen to that conversation more. You know, like another another one, just making things up on the fly here, is the team, once they're in the offensive zone, three-on-three, three, is not allowed to carry the puck outside the blue line, outside into the neutral zone. If they do that, they lose possession. I'm not sure how we figure out what to do with it. then. But it's illegal uh, to carry the puck voluntarily outside your offensive zone once you're in there.
1: It turns into like a backcourt violation in basketball. When yeah, home yeah. Again,
0: yeah. work out the details, but we, we have the same thing of, of – the, they're they're getting so good at this that they're they're slowing up the overtime a little bit, and how are we going to modify it to now implement what they've done?
1: Awesome. So I have to ask. Uh, I've uh, been with the recently the current voice, the Hershey Bear Zach Fish. I was over at his house a few days ago, and uh, I had uh, lunch with uh, Scott Stuccio, uh not oh. too long ago, and two play-by-play voices of the bears have yeah. told me about a project that you are currently <laughs> working on. Would you like to talk about that? I think oh, it's very goodness. interesting.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, this, this started as a gift, turned into a project and now been an obsession. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Hershey bears pinball machine. So um, I, a friend of mine, a co-worker, Christian line says to me, you really got to get a pinball machine. And turned it into the Hershey Bears. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But unfortunately, the thought never left my head. So, and with, long story short, we end up doing it. And he gives me, puts me in contact with the premier guy on uh, who takes vintage machines and restores them in a theme. And so it's Brian Source up in Massachusetts. So I reach out to him. And what he does, he listens to your idea. If he, if he accepts it, he puts you on the waiting list. And six months later, he'll call you and say, okay, we can be, begin working on it. And uh, so the idea is you take a 1973-74 machine, uh, redo the whole thing, make it perfect, and then decorate it entirely in Hershey Bear's theme. And the neat part about it is uh, I then got in touch with, a again through Christian, a, a graphic artist who's actually done work on professional pinball machines. And he loved the idea and he joins the project as well. So now he has done all of the artwork for the cabinets, the play field, the back glass, everything. And it is just unbelievable. And then to top it off is when we put it all together, then it's like, can we get some audio, maybe like some bears in-game audio or music that they play in the arena. So Jonesy puts me in touch with Bob Howard, who just has been unbelievable. Like if if I thought I was crazy about the project, then you have Bob Howard, you know, taking it to another level. it's, It's been unbelievable. So, yes, uh, there's a machine that is uh, pin, Hershey Bears-themed uh, pinball machine, and the detail in it is incredible. And you, and you mentioned a little bit of it. Just to, to pick with Bob Howard and audio, we got every voice of the Bears from 1984 to the present to do a recording for the machine. You know, so you're talking Michigan, Kamal, Walton, Stuccio, Fish. I hope I didn't miss anybody. And they did, they did their own recording just for this machine you know Walton did his call out and he did it he did the recording just for our machine in fact we got a hold of Doc Emmerich and he did an introduction for the machine as well so we have all the voice of the Bears we have Doc Emmerich and then we pulled down some music I mean Bob Howard did all this pulled down some music pulled down some audio and it's being implemented to the machine and the graphic artist has every detail you'd want like the iconic names uh, of the Bears he has drawn and is on the playfield. So you name the Mathers and you name the Keller, right? And the Nikolak, they're on the playfield. And uh, of course, the championships cups are on it and the banners the retired numbers it's just become the the, the detail hasn't ended it's, it's been wonderful it's
1: unbelievable it, so is, is this a, a one of a kind there will only be one of these oh there'll movies. only be one oh my god right. there'll only
0: be one because yeah, i know there's
1: probably going to be a lot of season ticket holders listening in and they're they're salivating right now as we speak going oh, how do i get one of these like i need yeah, like, this for my man cave
0: <laughs> there will only be one i can i can <laughs> assure you that it's been so much work but great. I mean, so much so that, uh, again, the graphic artist did it, and we had to redo some of it because the standings board that he worked into the arena, right, we had to make historically accurate. So he had it in the right, wasn't the right team, so we had to make it exactly right for the era of the machine. So, I mean, it every, one time he had the, the shot clock, the clock was not, uh, it was digital, so we had to change that around. So we, we've had fun with it.
1: That sounds unbelievable. I think there should be a, one. This is all made a, a nice uh, pinball tournament. <laughs> with, uh, is, I, I need to somehow see this in person once it's all complete. This sounds unbelievable.
0: The Bears players have to come over and, and, and play in a pinball tournament.
1: Exactly. When I was with uh, stuccio he was saying that uh, – so you had requested like a, a signature call or something or what's something that stuccio had, uh, had consistently worked into his call. And he says to me, what the hell did I even say? Like I don't even remember like what was something I like I consistently said. I said every time there was an empty net goal, you would say put a bow on it. Goes, I did? Really? Goes, yeah, you, you did. That was a thing. So, uh,
0: she even did a recording of, uh, you know, Hall of Fame night introducing some, uh, some Bears members of the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really well
1: done. That's great. And then with Walton, I'm sure you have the back-to-back Cups and all those players as well on there at the Alex Jaruz, the Keith O'Coin's, Grand Minx of the world. So that's, uh, that's gotta be outstanding. So I know for you uh, and one thing that we love and appreciate about Bob Goodman uh, that you do is in the community, you are super invested into preserving the historical side of the Hershey Bears. And you're, Involvement in the Derry Township uh, Historical Society. Uh, Over a year ago, you put together the uh, Hockey Night in Hershey uh, event, which was the movie premiere of Bars to Bears uh, with a dinner inside the Hershey Ice Palace. And then the movie was premiered inside a Hershey Park Arena. Uh, I remember that being a phenomenal event that you put a lot of hours uh, into. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that DVD and that event and all the hours that went into making that a super huge success?
0: Yeah. Well, the time that uh, went into that by the volunteers is just uh, it's off the charts. Um, And, uh, and I, I really, it's it's nice how the product came together, the movie in the end. I mean, I th- for me, the neatest part of it was that uh, was the ice palace part of it, and the, and we had not only the living legends that came back. I mean, Mitch was there and Nikolac. It, it's just phenomenal. But uh, well, then we had a theme of old time hockey, and you had Gary Ristling and Archie Henderson and Dennis Bonvie. You know that I invited back. And, and they came, and they spoke, and uh, I just thought it was fantastic to be able to merge in the Ice Palace, where the Bears used to play, the bars, and, uh, and have these guys, and having Doc Emmerich then introduce them, they chat a little bit, and then when Archie Henderson got up and was the last one to speak, uh, I mean, Jonesy's the one that said it to me, it was like a, a great gift, and he put the bow on the top, and is, his speech was phenomenal. And it was if you're a real Bears fan, I mean, it was pretty special, too, because uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame comes down and they bring the trophies that the Bears have won. And, and I think that might be the first time that all three trophies have been in Hershey together. I, I'm, I'm positive of that, OK, because uh, they won the Boardwalk Trophy back in the 30s and i don't think since then it's ever been back to hershey so that was the first time since the 30s that that trophy has traveled and then you had the original calder cup that's been retired that's when the bears won you know through the 80s i believe and then when dave andrews took over as president he then retired that cup and made the current calder cup where the nameplates are on it and we had that as well so there you are with living legends old-time hockey, and, um, and the Hall of Fame, bringing things down relevant to Hershey's history. It was, it was remarkable. And, and the film that Matt, Matt Stamball did was just, uh, I've, I've received, I mean, a gazillion would be an exaggeration, Matt, but I have received so many calls and emails and texts about uh, people over the last several months that have watched this film during this, this time frame that we're in right now, right? And, uh, and just have reached out with, uh, with great words about how, uh, how much they've enjoyed it.
1: So it's the Bars to Bears DVD that talks about the Hershey Bears hockey history. If you are listening in right now and you want to know, how can I get my hands on this DVD? How I can watch Bob, tell them how they can do it.
0: Well, they do all that through the Hershey Historical Society. They have DVDs there, and then you can certainly go online and uh, download it that way as well. So, real accessible either way.
1: Available on Amazon Prime Video for a very, very easy download and access of that. That is a fantastic DVD. I think uh, VP of Hockey Operations, Brian Helmer, said it best uh, himself, where Uh, when players come to Hershey each guy that signs uh, with the organization that's a movie that they need to watch upon entry just to give them an idea of how special the town is and its hockey history so uh, great kudos to you on uh, all the work that uh, that went into that project and that event uh, and it was December of 2018 that was a lot of fun a night that I'm sure a lot of people won't forget so uh, hopefully uh, Hopefully a lot more of those in the future where uh, when uh, it's a bit safer, just uh, those events you never forget when a lot of old names, a lot of old timers are back together in a room. Those are always so special too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Let's hope we get back to those times where we can uh, get people back together like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a tremendous amount of fun. One more thing. I want to get to, Bob, uh, sure. before I let you go. Uh, thank you so much for taking uh, all this time to uh, to be with us today. So on the theme of Hershey Park Arena, I wanted to find the last game you ever officiated, uh, last Hershey Bears game at Hershey Park Arena. So went through the stat sheets. Oh, my goodness. And – here we go. Point this up in front of me. If you're watching this video on YouTube, I will put a Dropbox link in the description so you can view uh, this box score uh, on your own. March 24th, 2002, Hershey 5, the Portland Pirates 1, referee Ron Morgan, uh, mm-hmm. linesman Bob Goodman, and Steve Klein working oh. that game.
0: Wow. Wow. Oh, uh, that, that, your research is phenomenal, I, <laughs> that, that, uh, what can I say, it's, it's an amazing pleasure to be able to uh, have worked in that arena, it, it, it was a thrill, and uh, again, not only uh, w- with the team, but uh, I, I'm telling you, people say it all the time, but it's, it's true, because I've, I've been to quite a few rinks to officiate, but it's the fans that, uh, in Hershey, that it's just makes it so different.
1: Any uh, memory that comes to mind with, uh, you mentioned the Spectrum earlier, uh, unfortunately the place where you shattered your wrist, but uh, yeah. officiating in that arena too, uh, any just neat memory that sticks out for you?
0: Well, uh, that was the only time I've been in the spectrum. What a, what a memory that is, huh? Okay, so you uh, were the,
1: one and done. You broke the wrist and that was it. I hate Philadelphia. How about know. it, right? But let's get out of there. They are the Broad Street Bullies, even
0: years later, right? It, uh, it, uh, it was amazing. And uh, it was neat to walk in there because I knew that, uh, um, that they were going to be tearing it down. So um, to, to be able to get into there with, uh, with a rink that had such history, you know, one last time before, uh, before it was torn down. it's like, I, you didn't do it lightly. You knew that uh, you got to look around. You got to take it in because you, you won't be back, right? It's, uh, this, is, this is going away forever. And, uh, and it, it's a heck of a rink. And, uh, you know, you do the same thing, although it doesn't get te- torn down. You do the same thing with Hershey Park Arena. I mean, you, you, how do you not still walk into that arena and look around and just be amazed at what a great rink it is?
1: Um, Absolutely. Well, Bob, we love you. We love how much uh, you've dedicated your life uh, towards the American Hockey League and uh, very bravely wearing the stripes and everything uh, that you do in the uh, Hershey Hockey community. Every time I get to see you or hear your voice, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I tell people all the time that you're a a stand-up person. That's uh, always, always very fun to talk to. So. Thank, thank, uh, you. thank you so much for uh, joining me uh, on this. My session.
0: pleasure, buddy. No, Anytime.
1: Um, awesome. So this has been another edition of the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. As always, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts and listen on demand anytime, anywhere. Also, tune in and watch the video side of this on YouTube and on Matsytrust.hockey. So for Bob Goodman, longtime American Hockey League linesman, I'm Matt Trust. Till next time, so long.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Join us for our next show where you can hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders, and say, That's Hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Thank you for listening, and please have a great day. He plays the